on a day like this, you wonder sometimes, you know, how to, I heard sort of two people, you know, one called the other on a day like this, said, how are you getting to church today? He said, well, I don't know if I'm going to use my outboard or my canoe. And, uh, you know, you get days like this, people say, well, you know, it's kind of raining, so I think I'll just, we're just packing in, stay home this morning, and I'm thankful that we've such a, such a good crowd and such a good spirit, and uh, I'm thankful for your presence here today. You know, you ever, you ever heard some of these predictions? You know, people say, give predictions from time to time, and you just scratch your head, where do these predictions come from? And there are some famous predictions in the past that have not come true. Uh, let me share a few of these with you. In 1899, Al, you remember 1899? It's a good year. <laughs> 1899, Charles Duell. <laughs> Charles Duell was the commissioner of the U.S. Department of Patents, and he famously is quoted as saying, "Everything that can be invented has been invented." <laughs> In 1901, Al, oh, never mind. Okay. Ladies' Home Journal published a piece of what was going to be happening in the next 100 years. And among the things that Ladies Home Journal predicted in the year 1901 is that the letters C, X, and Q would be removed from the alphabet as unnecessary. Still there, last time I checked. In 1950, the Associated Press wrote an article about what life was going to be like in the year 2000. And among other things, they said, uh, that there would be a significantly shorter work week. Yeah. <laughs> work weeks are now longer than they were in 1950. And I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for those days. How are you waiting for those days too? Just uh, one day. Well, anyway, 1964, New York City World's Fair. The prediction was that by 2014, cars would fly. Now, that is true on Interstate 85. <laughs> But all four wheels are still on the ground most of the time. In 1977, Ken Olson, the founder of Digital Equipment Corporation, DEC, famously said this, there is no reason for any individual to ever have a computer in his home. And now we carry them around in our pockets. February the 20th, 2019, someone famously said, Duke will beat Carolina at Cameron Indoor Stadium. <laughs> So what does this tell us about predictions? You better know what you're talking about if you're going to make a prophetic prediction or call something to be in the future when you may not know what it is. Well, in John chapter 12, which is where we're at this morning, let me invite you to take your Bibles. John chapter 12, we see the fulfilling of prophecy. Not, the, not a, not a, not a uh, incomplete fulfilling, not an not a unfulfilled prophecy, but we see the fulfilling of prophecy and the pointing to the cross as Jesus presented himself as the king, as the Messiah. Would you stand with me? We're going to read from John chapter 12. If you haven't been here each of the last several weeks, we're working our way through the gospel of John. We're looking at a picture of Jesus from each chapter and today we're in John chapter 12. Jesus is the coming king. Somebody say amen to that this morning. Amen. End of message. Jesus is the king. And so uh, John chapter 12, I'm going to read for you from verse, uh, starting in verse number 12, where it says, The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
even the king of Israel. Now, now I'm going to stop just for a quick second. We don't have nearly enough time, but imagine Jerusalem. Imagine people everywhere. It's, it's already a large city for that day and time, but imagine all of these folks have come from all over to celebrate the Passover. There's an electricity in the air. There's a, an expectation in the air. There's a hustle and bustle in the streets, and people here. Jesus is coming. Jesus is on the way, and I'll tell you why it was such a, such a big event in a few minutes, but, but Jesus is on the way. So the people gathered these branches. They, they went to where Jesus was coming, and, and they, they cried out, the Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, we're going to do a poor imitation, but I want you to join me this morning. We're going to say together, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Are you ready? Let's say it together. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, now, now we're going to pretend we have palm branches in our hands, okay? Now, it could be you have a palm branch in each one, and you're waving it like this. Maybe somebody did that. Or maybe at, at Al, Al learned this way. You have a big palm branch, takes two hands, and so you're waving it this way. Others just standing with their hands outraised. You choose right now. What is your method going to be? You've got a palm branch in your hand. What is it going to be? We're going to say together again, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So get your pose ready. Everybody get your pose. You have permission. Raise your hands in church today. All right? All right, real loud. Here comes Jesus. Let's say it together. Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. All right. What, a, what an awesome sight that must have been to be there and to witness that great occasion. Verse 14. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd came, the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. My prayer today is that the world would go after Jesus. Our Heavenly Father, today may we recognize you, our coming King, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Savior of the world, our living hope. And may this scripture remind us and reveal to us exactly who you are, that we might respond in faith and obedience for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, please be seated. One Bible teacher wrote these words about this passage of Scripture. Down through history, God provided us a road map. He foretold various signs and conditions through his prophets. These prophets spoke of things that mankind should watch for so that when the Messiah would be came would be recognized and believed these signs or prophecies were given to us in the old testament its writings were completed in 450 bc the old testament written hundreds of years before jesus birth contains over 300 prophecies that jesus fulfilled through his death and resurrection think about that over 300 prophecies were given about the coming messiah and they were completed 450 years before Jesus was ever born into the world. 
You talk about pressure. You talk about, about, about specifics, uh, even more so than eliminating some letters from the alphabet, e even more so than, than determining whether cars would fly, even, even more so than, than predictions about computers. You better know what you're talking about if you're going to make 300 predictions about somebody who will be born 450 years in the future. The mathematicians say it this way. I'm not one, so I, I have to be careful. Mathematically speaking, the odds of anyone fulfilling this amount of prophecy are staggering. The total number of people who have lived since the time of these prophecies, which is 450, since 450 B.C., estimated to be 88 billion people. That's a lot of people, isn't it? Each of us, therefore, is one in 88 billion. See all those zeros there? That's nine zeros after 88. One person fulfilling not all 300, but only eight key prophecies is equivalent of one chance in 10 to the 17th power. Now, what does that look like? That's 10 with 17 zeros after it. Now, here's what that looks like. One person in that many people have, have the chance of fulfilling all those prophecies. Well, how many people have, been, have lived since 450 B.C.? 88 billion. Now, now, my understanding is this number here is almost as much as Al's retirement account. I'm just saying. This number is, the way I understand it, it's called a quadrillion. A quadrillion. Uh, so, so not even enough people have been born for it to be one chance per person. So, so one in that many. That's just fulfilling eight prophecies, not 300, but just eight of, of the significant ones. One person fulfilling 48 prophecies is one chance in 10 to the 157th power. That's not 10 with 17 zeros. That's 10 with 157 zeros after. That's just 48. One person fulfilling all 300 of the prophecies, only Jesus. I like that. Only Jesus. These significances point to the fact of the truth of God's Word. They point to the fact that we can depend on and rely upon the Bible and that it is true and all people will be liars if they disagree with the truth of what we find in God's Word. And in the Bible, in John chapter 12, among other things, we read that Jesus entered Jerusalem as the triumphant king. And in this passage, it looks backward to the fact that prophecy is being fulfilled in Jesus, and it looks forward to more prophecy being fulfilled with the cross, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. So at this particular moment in time, Jesus is in between past prophecies and future prophecies. And so that very key moment, let's look and see some important truths that we need to take note of. If you look with me, first of all, in verse 12, we'll see that Jesus came to Jerusalem to become the sacrificial lamb. The sacrificial lamb, or we might say the Passover lamb. That's why Jesus came. He came on, on, a, on an assignment from God. He came on that day to that occasion to perform that duty uh, for, because he was assigned that duty before the creation of the world ever came into existence. Notice verse 12. It simply says, The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast, the feast of Passover, heard that Jesus was coming 
to Jerusalem. Now let's talk about Passover for just a quick moment. Passover was an eight-day celebration commemorating an event back in the history of Israel. You'll remember that, that the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. They cried out to God for deliverance, and God raised up Moses and sent Moses to Pharaoh. Moses famously went to Pharaoh. What did Moses say to Pharaoh? God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no. And then God sent a plague. And Moses said, God says to you, Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And God sent another plague. One plague, two plagues, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And they were devastating. And Pharaoh would change his mind. He would say, okay, you can do that. And then he would change his mind and say, no. Finally, the last plague, the tenth plague, the Passover. On the night of the Passover, the death angel sent from God went to every home throughout the land of Egypt. And the firstborn of every family, the firstborn of every animal, died. From Pharaoh's firstborn to the servant out in the field to all the animals, the death angel took the life of the firstborn, except in Israel and among God's people. And in Israel among God's people, God has sent a message through Moses, and he said, on this night, here's what you do. He said, you get a lamb and you eat this meal and you put this bread together. All those things are important. But, but the most important thing that they did that night was they sacrificed a lamb, a spotless lamb, and they took the blood of the lamb and they took a brush and they put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of their homes, on the left and on the right, on the top and on the bottom. And when the death angel saw the blood of the lamb, he passed over that home. What a beautiful sign. What a, what a tragic circumstance that the people were, uh, that Pharaoh was rebelling against God. But at the same time, what a beautiful sign of the cross thousands of years before Jesus was ever born, before the cross was ever invented. The blood on the doorpost meant that the death angel passed over you because the blood of the lamb was there. And so now for all those generations, over 1,300 years, the people have gathered and in Jerusalem, they had celebrated for eight days this Passover, and they had celebrated that the, the blood of the Lamb means that the death angel passes over. And God passes over our sins when the blood of the Lamb is given. So for all these generations, all these hundreds of years, for over a thousand years, how many lambs died to, to symbolize to the people and to paint that beautiful picture that, 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 that the angel uh, passed over and that, uh, that God sees the blood of the lamb in in 2019 just so you know the passover will take place from april the 19th through the 27th easter will be on sunday the 21st of april and we ought to celebrate that every single year in fact every single day on friday of that week of the passover jesus went to the cross as the sacrificial lamb and as they lay it out of, of and, and put the calendars together jesus was on the cross being sacrificed for the sins of the world at exactly the moment on Friday that the lambs were being killed for the Passover to be celebrated. And that's when Jesus went to the cross for us. On John, in, in John chapter 1, the very beginning of the gospel, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 29, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In 1 Peter 3.18 it says, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. He suffered once for all. 
1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19. You, speaking of us as believers, you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with the perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And so it's very clear that, that, that when Jesus came and his message of his sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection was painted for generations to come with the death of the lamb, with the Passover meal, with everything associated with it. And so we see that beautiful picture. Jesus came to be the sacrificial lamb. But Jesus also entered Jerusalem that day as the promised coming king. Not just as a sacrificial lamb, but as the coming king. There's a prophecy way back in the Old Testament. Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. We need about an hour to go through it, but I'll, I'll be very brief here. Daniel 9, 24 to 27. There in verse 25, it says, From the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem. Now remember, this is the Old Testament. The Babylonians had come and conquered Jerusalem and knocked it down. And Daniel had been carried off into Babylon. And God spoke to Daniel and gave him a prophecy for the future that one day Jerusalem would be rebuilt. And so Daniel says, From the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again. And the prophecy there, the, the days of the weeks are years. And so, so the scholars have, have added up and they said Daniel 9.25 means that there will be 69 times 7 years until the Messiah comes as a prince. 69 times 7 years times 360 days of the year. The Jewish calendar, 360 days, means 173,880 days. That's a long time, amen? That's a long time. The start of the prophecy was to come with the decree that said rebuild Jerusalem. That's when the clock started. And it occurred, this occurred in the year 444 B.C. in the month of Nisan. Not the car, but Nisan, the month of the Jewish calendar. And the first of Nisan in 444 B.C. corresponds with our fifth day of March, 444 B.C. If you go forward for 173,880 days, 476 years and 25 days, then you get the end of Daniel's prophecy when the Messiah would present himself as king in Jerusalem would be March the 30th, 33 AD, which would have been Palm Sunday, Jesus entering. Passover that same year would have been on April the 3rd, which would have been Good Friday, the day of Jesus dying on the cross. The math adds up, as the scholars tell us, to that prophecy in the Old Testament. On this day, the anointed one from God, the prince, will present himself in Jerusalem to reign. Now some thought Jesus was going to come as a political king. That he would come in to, to restore uh, the country, to eliminate the Romans, to, to kick the Romans out, to create an uprising. And so, so, so verse 13 tells us they took branches of palm trees, went out to meet him, and they said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. That word Hosanna simply means praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The, the fulfillment is coming. 
Many people knew of the prophecy. So, so they, were, they were shouting that Jesus was coming to be the king. The one who comes in the name of the Lord is the one who comes on behalf of the Lord, the anointed of God, the one sent from God. And they called him the king of Israel, the anointed one from the family of David, because only someone from the line of David was rightfully able to serve on the throne of Israel, which Jesus was. So they were waving palm branches, which was a sign of military victory. And in those days, when they would come back, the armies would come back, the people would take palm branches and wave them at the people, and, 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 and they, would, they would recognize them for defeating uh, their enemy. And so the thought was, here comes Jesus. He's going to overthrow the Romans and lead us back, and he's going to become the king. And, and they were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, some thought he would come as a political king, but in reality he came as the humble servant king. In the Old Testament, another prophecy from Zechariah 9 and verse 9. In Zechariah, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, the daughter of Jerus O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And in John chapter 12, verses 14 and 15, we see this prophecy come true. Interestingly, there are several times that Jesus identified himself during his earthly ministry as the Messiah to the woman at the well, to his disciples, to others. But this is the only public declaration by Jesus presenting himself as the Messiah was on this occasion, on this event, in fulfillment of the prophecy from Daniel, in fulfillment of the prophecy from Zechariah, presenting himself as the Messiah who had come into the world. Verse 23, Jesus said, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. In verses 31 to 33, it says, Jesus says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. That's, that's the devil. He's going to be cast out. Don't you like that? I like that part. And then Jesus said, When I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself, he said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. Jesus, in this act, presents himself as the fulfillment of prophecy as the Messiah. Now, thirdly, I want, you, I want you to notice the raising of Lazarus from the dead prompted Jesus' popularity. The, the Part of the reason that so many people flocked is because just, just the last chapter of John, chapter 11, just, just a few short time ago during this whole scenario, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. It had not happened that long ago. And so people were talking and buzzing about Lazarus being raised from the dead. Many people in Jerusalem had not seen Jesus before. They were from all over the country. They had come for the Passover. And this buzz about Lazarus was going around. People were curious. They were, they were excited to see and to hear. So when the word came, here comes Jesus. He's raised Lazarus from the dead. That prompted people, we're told here in the scripture, that prompted them to go out and to see and to chant, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Last week in, in John 11, before Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he said in John 11 and verse 4, it is for the glory of God so that the Son of Man might be glorified in it. Jesus says this to his disciples before he goes to Lazarus, before he raises him from the dead. Jesus said, this is going to happen so that the Son of God might be glorified. And certainly he was glorified in that moment of the resurrection of Lazarus. But now, as the coming king, the glory is coming to him again. 
It's coming to him laid out. It's coming to him in all the grandeur that could be given in that day and in that time. Now, now notice here verses 17 and 18 of John 12. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. They could not stop talking about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Verse 18, the reason why the crowd went to meet him is that they heard that he had done this sign. That's why they were going out. Now, all the way back to verse number one. Six days before the Passover, before Jesus entered Jerusalem on the donkey, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Repeatedly, over and over this chapter, it talks about it. Verse two. So they gave a dinner for Jesus there, and Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. So after he raised him from the dead, he comes back, he's hanging around there, and, and there's Lazarus, they're having a dinner for him. And now fast forward to verse 9. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Still talking about it. Verse 10, so the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Again, they don't, they, he's been raised from the dead. What can you do to somebody who's already died? Lazarus, we've come to kill you. Been there, done that. Why were the Pharisees doing this? Verse 11, because on account of him, Lazarus, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus, Lazarus was the talk of the town. He'd been raised from the dead. People were going to Lazarus. Are you Lazarus? Yes. What is it like to die? What happens on the other side? And, and I can imagine Lazarus may, have, may or may not have told anything, but, but he probably finished the story with something like this. I was laying there dead, minding my own business. <laughs> and all of a sudden I heard this voice, Lazarus, come out. And there I was back in my body. And I was all bound up with this stuff around me. And I heard, unbound him and let him go. And I said, because this stuff's tight. <laughs> I don't know what happened. But understand, he was raised from the dead. It was spreading everywhere. And people were coming to faith in Jesus so that the Pharisees and the Jews were saying, we got to kill him again. <laughs> we got to kill him again. That brings me to the fourth point. It was a massive response to Jesus at the first part of that week coming in on the donkey, the people waving the branches, the palm branches, shouting Hosanna, the electricity of, 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 of Passover, the, the spreading around of what happened to Lazarus, the Pharisees, you know, murmuring, but we've got to kill Lazarus again. Verse 19, it says, So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that, that you're gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. They're standing there. I imagine the Pharisees kind of back off to the side, maybe up in the, the temple looking out at the people and, and the throng of people, the, the waving of the branches. And they're saying, man, the whole world's going after this guy, Jesus. What, what are we going to do? Well, Jesus had, in fact, come to save the world. That's what he was after. That's what he is after, is that the world be saved. John 12, 32, Jesus said, when I'm lifted up from the earth, we'll draw all people to myself. John verse chapter 1 and verse 10. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Chapter 1 verse 29. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of what? The world. The world. 
John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. John 3, 17, the very next verse, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be what? Saved through him. That's why he came. John 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. John 12, verse 46, I have come into the world as a light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Verse 47, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Do you see the repetition of the use of world and salvation so that everybody might come to know Jesus as Savior? John 16, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. Isn't that good news? John 17, 21, Jesus is praying, You, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they, that's us, also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. John 18, verse 20, Jesus answered, I've spoken openly to the world. Do you know who Jesus is? He is the Savior of who? The world. And still today, the message goes out. He raised Lazarus. He himself was raised. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Pictured all the way back in the Passover with the death angel and the blood of the lamb taking away the, the penalty of death all the way through the, 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 the sacrifices in the temple throughout all of history to the celebration of the Passover to Jesus presenting himself as the king and then dying as the lamb once and for all for the sins of the world. Well, this occasion there when Jesus came into Jerusalem, we call it and it has been for, for the history of Christianity. We call it Palm Sunday. On Sunday was the triumphal entry. On Monday, Jesus cleared the temple. On Tuesday, he went to the Mount of Olives. On Wednesday, there's no record of what he did. On Thursday of that week was the Passover, the Lord's Supper, and, and, uh, uh, and the washing of the disciples' feet. This year, that Thursday is April the 18th. Put it on your calendar we're going to have a special celebration of that this year at Ridgecrest. Every year we do something. This year is going to be very special uh, as it is every year. On Friday was the trial, the crucifixion, the death of Jesus, and his burial. On Saturday he was in the tomb. And on Sunday, oh, Sunday. What happened on Sunday? He was raised from the dead. And so starting now in John chapter 12 and going to the end of John uh, the Gospel of John, all these next weeks, all take place in the one week. We started it today, and the rest of John is the, is the week of the Passover, the week of the crucifixion, and the, and the, and the week where the resurrection took place. What does, what does all this mean? What does all this mean from, from the beginning of John to now, from now to the end of John? What does all of this mean? It means on one hand that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world for all who will believe. The question, do I believe? I've got, to, I've got to be confronted with that question. Do I believe? And so often I feel like the, 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 the man who came to Jesus and, and, and he says to Jesus, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe, but help me to believe even more and more every single day. It also means this, that Jesus is the fulfillment of Scripture. Jesus is the promised Messiah. Jesus is the one who came into the world so that we might believe to his glory. It also means this. Changed lives cause a stir. People want to hear, and they want to see, and they want to experience. That's what happened to Lazarus. 
And see, the thing about Lazarus is Lazarus died physically and was raised from the dead physically. What an awesome miracle of Jesus that was. But do you know what happened to me? I was dead spiritually. And Jesus raised me spiritually when I believed in him. And he came in my heart and he saved my soul. And when you see me, you see a resurrected me. Forgive my English. I ain't who I was. I ain't who I'm going to be, but I ain't who I was. I'm in between, but I have been saved. And that's the same message that goes out to all of us. How many people that we rub shoulders with need to hear the message that we've been changed? Now, Alvin, I'm going to tell you something. You scared me to death. You start talking about politics when you're about to pray for the offering. <laughs> then you hit the nail on the head. The only thing that will make America great again is for Jesus to come and live in the hearts of his people and to spread out and impact communities. And that same resurrection power that brought Lazarus up from the dead is the same resurrection power that saved me and saved you if you're a believer in Christ and can save them, whoever they are. And the only thing holding it back is us. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I just want to ask you three questions as we conclude and we're about to sing our invitation song. Question one, do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe all this? That Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who came into the world, who became the sacrificial lamb. He's the king of all that there is. He died in your place and for your sins. Do you believe? And then the second question is, does it matter? Does it matter at all? Does it matter if you have believed? What impact is it making in your life? Does it matter to you if you don't believe? Because the Bible says if you don't believe, you're under the judgment of God for sin. We don't want anybody here have to stand before God in their sins. Then the third question, does it show? Does it show? If, if you believe it, does it show? And will you let it show? Will you say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Let it show out through me, Jesus. So our Heavenly Father, this morning I pray for these who have listened so graciously this morning and sang so boisterously today and have celebrated baptism and listened to the story of Jesus. I pray that we might believe and that we might be ones through whom you can cause a stir by simply telling others what you've done for us. May it be so, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.